Live from the city that made space famous, the Bayou City, the fourth largest city in America, a place we all love to call home, Houston, Texas. This is Astro Talk. Now, your host, Mike Acosta and Gerald Sanchez. And welcome to our very first edition of Astro Talk. I'm Gerald Sanchez along with Mike Acosta, and we are starting a podcast that we've been uh, in the works for some time, Mike. Quite some time, and thank you. Uh, we started talking about doing Astro Talk uh, quite some time ago. Like during, 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 COVID. The shut, yeah, yeah, during the during shutdown. COVID and over two years ago. And uh, we had all the ideas and what it would sound like and what we wanted to do with it. And I think we're doing it now. Uh, here we are. Astro Talk is going to be a podcast where you can tune in and hear Astro's baseball talk. And we're going to have some very special guests throughout the course of this podcast series talking about Astro's baseball, but not just limiting to Astro's baseball, baseball in general, or just life in Houston. That's right. And, you know, you've been in Houston for a very long time. I'm a native Houstonian. We've been here for, for a very long time. You and I have known each other for about 24, to almost 25 years when you were a uh, disc jockey for the Astros radio affiliate in Victoria, Texas. And I was working in the Astros broadcast department back then. And uh, that's how we got to know each other. And then we eventually started working together with uh, Astros, high school sports, high school sports and, yeah. and then college sports and doing minor league baseball in Sugarland. So yeah. it's been a lot of fun. And of course, with our, with our baseball uh, passion and love, you know, the Astros are... They're a franchise that's 61 years old, and the Astros have a story to tell. The Colt 45s, beginning in 1962, and even a little bit before then, and how everything formulated, and the idea of indoor baseball, and all of those stories from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and of course today, those stories should be told. They, they should, and, and you know one of the things that we envisioned was... We were going to share the stories and legacies of baseball in Houston. So there was a rich history of baseball before the majors came here. And, and you know, the Colt 45s or the, the major league team that became the Colt 45s was awarded in October of 1960. But the Houston Buffaloes, which are affectionately known as the Houston Buffs, they played for many decades before that and had many stars, Hall of Fame players, they came through. There was a very colorful history, uh, championship players, tra- uh, championship uh, teams and players, Hall of Fame players that came through. So we're going to share some of those stories as well. We really want this to be an all-encompassing type of show for Astro Talk. And our very first guest on Astro Talk, we're picking the very first player to have a plate appearance, to have a hit, and to have a run scored. In 1962, on April the 10th, talking about an Astro Hall of Famer, Bob Aspromani. He'll be our first guest here on Astro Talk. That's right. And we want to thank everybody at Capismo Communications here, where they have this wonderful podcast studio where Astro Talk is coming to you each and every month. And also, you'll find Astro Talk along HoustonCityBeat.com. HoustonCityBeat.com, there's just something about that beat. The staff here at Capismo Communications, Alyssa is here on site. 
Wright as our site engineer for AstroTalk, and we really appreciate everything that they are doing. If you are interested in recording your own podcast, call them, get them in contact with them at capismo.com today. We're going to come back with Bob after we take this break. Our very first guest, Bob Aspermani, here on AstroTalk. We'll be back in just a moment. Take your business to higher ground with Capismo Communications. Capismo provides phone systems, IT management, cloud services, cabling infrastructure, internet connectivity, and podcast studio services. All the communications your business needs to be successful. Get unprecedented knowledge and impeccable reliability with Capismo Communications. Visit capismo.com. Make sure to visit the Houston City Beat store today on HoustonCityBeat.com. Find exclusive products that'll kick your Houston pride into gear. Check out the latest releases and come back often to see the latest editions. Just go to HoustonCityBeat.com and click on HCB store on the menu. Shop the Houston City Beat store today because only Hugh can wear it so well. You're listening to Astro Talk with Micah Costa and Gerald Sanchez. Back along with Astro Talk, brought to you by HoustonCityBeat.com. Micah Costa and Gerald Sanchez here with you. We are so excited to have our next guest here, infielder for the Colt 45s and the Houston Astros, one of the most popular players in franchise history. He's in the Astros Hall of Fame and also one of the original players for Major League Baseball in Houston, Texas. We're talking about the great, the legendary Bob Aspromonte. Welcome in, Bob, to Astro Talk. Thank you, Michael, Gerald. I appreciate that. Bob, you came a long way to come to Houston. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the transition coming from Brooklyn, playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. You made your debut in 1956, and now you're coming to Houston for an expansion team. It's brand new. There's never been Major League Baseball in Texas. Mike, it's one of the most incredible experiences for a young 17-year-old kid graduating from Lafayette High School, where the older brother really took over and had to sign my contract with the Brooklyn Dodgers. When I turned 18, I joined the Brooklyn Dodgers on the field. And one of the greatest experiences of them all, Walt Olson comes up to me and says, Bobby, I want you to go field some ground balls now with Jackie Robinson, Pee Wee Reese, and Gil Hodges. Well, the body wouldn't move. And eventually I walked in and stopped feeling some ground balls with the three. I didn't say a word. And then Jackie said to me, Bobby, you have a more of an outfielder's glove. That's an oversized glove. You need an infielder. Shorter finger. Here, use my glove. So I started using his glove with him. As you know, before the game, we would feel some ground balls quite a while. And then I said, oh, Jackie, thank you, Jackie. That really is a big difference. He says, no, Bobby, you keep that glove. Well, I kept that over 50 years. So I know exactly the feeling, the impact that something like that had for an 18-year-old kid that just took the field the first day with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And you played in one game in Brooklyn. Oh, yes. But the interesting thing about... Walter Olson, we had a, like a massive score. We were leading the game 17-2. So he said, Bobby, I want you to pinch hit for Sandy Ambrose. And I got up to the plate and made a couple of foul balls. And, and then Don Little pitched it through a curveball that bounced on the ground. And I swung at it and struck out. And I'm coming back to the dugout. And all the players would come up and 
really, oh, Bobby, that was great. You had a great time first. And they made me feel so good for striking out, swinging out a pitch and hit the ground. So it was, it was it was a great experience. But I became the last Brooklyn Dodger to play in the major, major leagues because of that one experience. Talk a little bit about Ebbets Field. You know, the, the uh, legendary Ebbets Field. What was it like to walk in that place? Oh, that what a special, what an environment that was. It was just incredible. When you have all the sports heroes that we all grew up with and watched and then play in that Ebbets Field. And then the transition of trying to make a contract with the, the city of New York of what they wanted to do, expand and uh, come up with a new ballpark. That's when everything started to happen and deteriorate. Yeah, I but get then, you. You heard the name Robert Moses during that time period, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, Robert Moses. <laughs> yeah, he was the uh, reason why, uh, I mean, the main reason why the Dodgers uh, or, you know, the Mets are playing in, in Queens and, you know, they never really built anything in Brooklyn. No, no, that was that was the key point. That was one of the most difficult things to experience with. The, and, you know, and also there was a lot of people involved in trying to create a new ballpark for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But it never experienced. But that's when they were able to get the Giants to follow with them because the Polo Grounds was an old ballpark and it really need something new for the Giants as well. So that transition of the two ball clubs making their final decision to go to California was a lot easier because of all that. And you being a, a native Brooklyn, your family being from Brooklyn, you going to high school there, them leaving, it broke a lot of hearts. It was so fortunate. You know, I have two older brothers. We all play professional ball. My older brother, Charlie, graduated from New York University and played for the Yankee organization in the minors. My brother, Kenny, naturally followed, and he played 10 years in major leagues and managed the Cleveland Indians for three years. So they really, both really took care of that young kid. It was quite a big 11 years difference. As you're growing up, there's a lot of good experience from the family itself. And then going to Los Angeles, and I remember you talking about, in a story one time, talking about playing in the vast Los Angeles Coliseum before there was Dodger Stadium. Oh, yes. Yes, I would say when we played there, when I played there in 1960, it was, it was a massive stadium. But the left field side of it was very short. And you had a short left field with a high fence. And you did a lot of home runs over that little, little wall. But then center field would be massive into right field. That's where that Coliseum expanded itself. So that experience there was, was with the fan support and the atmosphere was just outstanding to, to see. You remember all the superstars were still playing there. When you look at the Gil Hodges and Duke Siders and all of those continued on for a long period of time for the next two or three years in, in, actually in L.A. You mentioned Gil Hodges. Talk about the influence that he had on you as a young player in Jersey number 14. There's a good reason for that. What he did, he, that 18-year-old kid who joined the Brooklyn Dodgers, how he stabilized and made me feel so comfortable and realized the impact that was and how he made me handle it was incredible. And it was on and off the field, even on little road trips. He would always be there for me. And naturally, he was living in Brooklyn with the family, and I became very close with their family, with Joan, the wife, naturally. But Gil had just a special interest in kind of taking care of me a little bit, and I always wore that number 14 when I have a chance because I give him so much credit for what I did and what I was capable of doing, how he handled me for the whole year career. And then you, you actually got to play for him, didn't you? Funny part about it, 15 years 
I started with them at 18 years old, played with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and had great conversations with Gil throughout the career. And here we are. I said, Bobby, I'm going to bring you to New York. I'm going to give you, I'm going to trade you for the Atlanta Braves and bring you. I said, oh, Gil, that'd be incredible. And here I come back to New York 15 years later with Gil Hodges, who took care of me then and took care of my last year with the with the New York Mets. And I had a fantastic beginning. The first two months, I was just game-winning hits and did everything well. And it was a great feeling for Gil to see that happen at my age and all the years, 15 years of in, you know, playing ball. But the most interesting thing is when we arrived in spring training together, and I sat down with Gil as we are so close. I said, Gil, you just sit the bench. Let me wear 14. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a two, Bobby. <laughs> so from from uh, the Dodgers, you, you are uh, not protected. You're allowed to go into the expansion draft, and the Colt 45s pick you. Being the first one to be drafted from that division, so to speak, it was, you know, something that, uh, of course, the New York Mets had a lot of attention. To. I thought I was going to go back home that way. But when the ball club, Houston ball club, Paul Richards made that acquisition so quickly, and the Dodgers were trying to save me, I think I'd be the, one of the first ones to leave because everyone that left was able to save five more ball players by name. So they thought it'd be easy to save me, you know, the Dodger organization. And sure enough, Paul Richards made that acquisition and come to Houston. And what an experience, being a young kid in a new city and stimulating the game Major League Baseball here in the city. And and we did so much on and off the field initially. Had you ever been to Houston before, Bob? uh, No, no. Or Texas, for that matter? Yeah, we did, yes. But but never at that time in Houston, so to speak, where it was any, you know, comfortable time to say, well, we did this, we did that in Houston. No, It it was a great experience from spring training. I'm in Houston, and the fan support and how it all, and I'll tell you what, when you think about, you know, the way it all started and how building this Astrodome and what took place, selling that Astrodome to the Major League franchises to make that decision in 1959, and then you see what happened. It's incredible. You know, that Astrodome brought Baseball, Major League Baseball, Houston, and everybody deserves so much credit for all that. I want to go back to the very first game in franchise history on April the 10th, 1962. It was at Colt Stadium. you remember that day? Do you remember going to the ballpark and y'all were going to play the Chicago Cubs? It really was. Very exciting time. You know, we had a lot of good conversation. A lot of young ball players on that team, and we had some experienced guys in Nelly Fox and Eddie Casco that took care of us in a lot of ways. And remember, we were in that temporary kind of a minor league stadium at Cole 45s, and then, but it was very suitable for uh, the initial impact of the, the city because it was very acceptable to the young kids to be able to move around, and then to watch playing there. And then to watch this incredible Astrodome being built while you're still on the field at Cole 45. But I became the first batter in the team history. And I was fortunate enough to get a base hit, and that started the whole career. And you, you scored know, the first run, too. Yeah. The first fir- run. First Al hit, Spangler first run. tripled you home. That's right. I even stole a base. I think that was my last stolen base. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, Bob, there was a, uh, I guess, a, 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 the day before the first opening day on, on April 10th, it was either April 9th or April 8th, somewhere right in there, there was a parade in downtown Houston where all of you guys, all the players and the executives of the Houston Sports Association were paraded down, I think it was Main Street. And, Main Street. You know, it, it looked, you know, back then... It, you guys look like astronauts coming back from from a Gemini flight or something like that. The way they had the the uh, the parade coming down Main Street, it was just it was just a, a special time in Houston at that. You know, because they didn't have Major League Baseball before. They had the Houston Buffs, which were very popular. They had a lot of success. But here oh, yeah. we were now with Major League Baseball. And I think everybody. I mean, you might as well have been flying into space, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, think about Houston at the time becoming a major league city and the experience of going into a city for the first time in major league baseball and watched all the atmosphere that was surrounded by that downtown area. I mean, you know, the influence was a lot of the young kids that did such an incredible and that was a great transition. All of us. We all talked about that. So you go to Colt Stadium and... You know, Colt Stadium is out there in the heat. Now, you know, you have NRG Park and the medical center has expanded. About the biggest thing that was out there at the time was the Shamrock Hilton Hotel, which was just, just a little bit north of the, the stadium. Otherwise, you were out there on this big prairie with a big hole in the ground, which was the Astrodome being built next door about, uh, I guess, about a thousand feet away or so beyond right. the, the first base and right field side of Colt Stadium. But Colt Stadium being kind of a minor league facility. But, but you know, I always have wondered, how did you guys deal with the, the heat in, in that ballpark? And, and then also later on with the mosquitoes in there. I mean, what kind of thing, you know, if you're in that, that dugout sitting there, how did you guys, was that an issue for you playing the game or were you just, you know, too focused on the game? No, it was a major issue, especially for the established players. We were a lot younger. We understood what's going on. The heat was penetrating. And one of the biggest factors in this, we played all day games. Yes. Through a period of time. A lot of day so games. Imagine playing in 95, 100 degree temperatures. And it was incredible. But the older players, the Norm Lockers, the Cascos and Delia Foxes that you know, at the end of their careers, it, it, it was penetrating. And especially then the mosquitoes would aggravate a lot of the older players. We would have more laughs about that. And uh, so it was, uh, it was a great experience that you could start a franchise in the city of Houston at that time. And you had some veteran players. But I tell you, the conditions were very difficult. And even the visiting teams, you know, found it. So with their temperatures and the mosquitoes and, again, all day games, which everybody forgets about. Yeah, there was one doubleheader where 80 fans were treated for, for heat exhaustion. Do you remember any hear anything about that? Yeah. That was the Dodgers. Yes. The Dodgers and Drysdale and Colfax was pitching, mm -hmm. and they went through, I mean, not just them, I'm talking about the whole franchise and the stadium. They had serious problems in that day. And we played a long doubleheader, too. That was long. I can't tell you exact scores, but it, it was it was played for a long time. The other day, the Sugarland Space Cowboys were scheduled for a six o'clock start, but we've had very very hot weather, and so they moved it back on. It was a Sunday night game, and they moved it to seven o'clock on the air. I'm telling the story about 
how Sunday Night Baseball was born in Houston because of the heat. And it was the Colt 45s that, that debuted Sunday Night Baseball. They had to get special permission from the National League. Really? I mean, when you think about what Judge Warhoffline's established and also got involved in some of these major decisions that changed a lot around because of the heat conditions, but also the new stadium that was already being built alongside it, but we had to play in the temporary stadium. And we had some, you know, good adjustments in the lighting that had to take place and everything else. But it was, uh, when you think about what an experience that is, uh, to bring a new franchise into the city like this, and you can check it out yourself. The numbers you're talking about to have a major league franchise in the city, about 500,000. That's why you got to give so much credit to Jeff Rojas and his team and George Kirchy and all of them, what they did for a long period of time in creating this atmosphere of making Major League Baseball make that decision to put a new franchise in use. It was great, I'll tell you. Bob, did you have any interaction with uh, George Kirksey or Craig Cullinan or Ari Bob Smith and, and uh, Roy Hoffines? George Kirksey and I were extremely close. We were, I mean, he really took care of me a lot of ways, but he, he and I were very close personally, too. We had a nice family, and especially with my brothers that were came to see us play. He was always there, and we, we and I got some great photos of he and I that I'll always remember. But George Kirchey uh, was, you know, very, very special. He was a guy who had a very good story. He was one of the the driving forces of trying to get Major League Baseball in Houston with Craig Cullinan. And Craig Cullinan's family was tied to the, the Texaco company. And together, they went around Houston trying to get a club to buy a club and move it to Houston. The St. Louis Browns were one of the teams. I think they tried to go after the Cleveland Indians at at one point. They just couldn't get it done. And one of the great things that I remember uh, seeing about George Kirksey was he was really tired of seeing Houston in the minor league standings with Dallas. He felt that uh, Houston was really ready for, for a major league team and wanted to see the name Houston in a major league standing and, and no longer with the minor. Yeah, nothing against the minor leagues, right? Because that's where all the stars come from. But he really, and, and I think it was a Houston and Dallas thing at the time. Did you ever hear him talk about that? <laughs> I say he, he loved what he was doing in Houston. He wanted to create this so badly. And one of the things that's so critically important, he started this in 1958. You're talking about way before the franchise was actually selected by the league yeah now he was there with cullinan working so hard and creating this atmosphere and they did so much homework you can't believe what they put together and here the years go by and that when you then when you make a decision like that to a new franchise and judge warha finds this and barry bob smith in this incredible dome stadium atmosphere i mean that's what that's how you got major league baseball there yeah they had did it all I remember you told me, too, that uh, seeing and, and hearing about the Astrodome being built and watching the skeleton rise over the uh, first base side of Colt Stadium, it, it kind of gave everybody an incentive to play well so they could have a chance to play in that brand-new air-conditioned palace you know, next door that was going up. Very special to be part of that, watching the growth, still playing in the Major League Baseball, but realizing, say, another year from now, we're going to be in that stadium opening up the incredible Astrodome. And we were always attended watching the, the actual growth going on. 
And then when I took that field, it, it was so special to, to uh, how you can even think of something this spectacular that quickly to win that franchise in Houston. Talk about the whole concept of indoor baseball because it had never been done before and what did that look like to you did you think about playing like uh, with with a, a roof and how are they gonna you know possibly not hit the roof with a ball that's right one of the things that i think was the only negative thing was the sun penetration they had to come in you know a couple of weeks before they had to redo the roof and then right behind home plate like a massive triangle coming from home plate on out so you have that little darkness. You can pick up the ball on fly balls as well, and even the infield ball. So they had they made that decision, but it had to be done because initially you couldn't see the balls. A lot of them you lost. You know, sort of the stadium. Oh yeah, year. the skylights on top of the Astrodome. Yeah, when they uh, there was so much glare coming through. It's kind of it's kind of funny to think of that. Uh, at one point, somebody was afraid that a game might be called on account of sunlight <laughs> because of the amount of glare that was coming through the roof. <laughs> but, you know, uh, one, one thing, too, uh, Bob, coming from, from Brooklyn, you know, it was the Brooklyn Dodgers that actually had considered building a retractable roof for the Dodgers back, I think it was in the 1940s. Did you ever hear anything about that? Well, I wasn't old enough to know that. Really. Of course, yes. <laughs> Good, an- love the answer exactly. But you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of ironic because you know you come in, you play in the world's first dome stadium, and they got it done in Houston, and there was talk about it in in New York, you know, in in Brooklyn, but they get it done in Houston. So there's that tie there, you know, that they couldn't get it done over there, but you came to the place where they could get it done, and it was here in in Houston, Texas. So. Bob, uh, stand by for a second. We're gonna okay. we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Astro Talk in just a moment. This segment is brought to you by Capismo Communications, providing a wonderful and modern podcast facility. Visit them at capismo.com. More Astro Talk with Mike Acosta and Gerald Sanchez in just a moment. Legacy Sports Network now celebrating 16 years of broadcast excellence. We're your home for local high school sports coverage. Expect excellent audio and video production. Whether listening at home or at the game, find us at lsnsports.com. Legacy Sports Network, building a legacy, one game at a time. I'm Lisbeth Marquez, the founder and creator of Houston City Beats where we are storytellers of Houston, bringing you original content over a multitude of platforms, connecting you with fellow Houstonians. Together, we collaborate to be Houston strong because this is my hometown and this is your hometown too. And there's just something about that beat. Houston City Beat. You're listening to Astro Talk with Micah Costa and Gerald Sanchez. We're back with Bob Aspermani, Astro Hall of Famer on Astro Talk. I'm Gerald Sanchez with Mike Acosta, and this segment is brought to you by Legacy Sports Network, lsnsports.com, building a legacy one game at a time, your home for high school sports in the Houston area. 
Well, Bob, we were talking about the early days of the Colt 45s and then getting into the Dome. But you also, when you're in your playing days over at Colt Stadium, yeah, had some uh, some pretty good times fielding the ball over at third base. That infielder's glove that Jackie gave you that we talked about in the first segment helped you out back in 1962. 57 consecutive games without an error at third base. And then so think about at that time using Jackie's glove most of the time. You're always looking at that glove and seeing Jackie's name on it was just a little fireball for that young kid. And it was so appreciative to see that happen. And But then as we went along to the season and go a lot of special events that took place in the first year and all the way through the four-year period. But I was so fortunate enough to have one of the most incredible experiences of my baseball career was to be a very close friend of this young Bill Bradley, nine-year-old boy from Little Rock, Arkansas. He was struck by lightning playing Little League Baseball. He took him off the field and and that's, and that's what happened. But two months later, he comes to Houston, and he wanted me to not you come and see him. Yeah, you well, went to go see him in the hospital because uh, Bill Bradley was having surgery to recover his eyesight from that lightning strike. And it's like right. a movie setting, Bob. I mean, and, and you know what I love? He actually called you Bobby. Yeah. The feeling that I – the experience was just so penetrating – because, you know, at that time, I was only about 23, 24 years old. So what this young kid go through this? Bandages all over his head. His eyes are totally, everything is totally face is closed. And then he looks at and I surprise him. I walk in at the doctor's office and, Billy, you know who's here for you right now? Bobby. And then the kid just started, I mean, he was laughing, happy and everything else. And we had a great follow-up conversation. Disability during these times, we all need a lot of support and help, and I'm there for you. I was his favorite player, and that's the reason why he wanted me to come and attend. I think that was the only favorite player I had that month. (laughs) (laughs) And, And he, from his hospital bed, would follow the Astros by listening to the radio. Oh, yes. Oh, the family... And the family was very close. We took them to lunch. We had a lot of great times together on and off the field. But I think the most important thing was that, that one night, talking to him for almost 10, 15 minutes, it was just an incredible, touching experience. And he was so, I mean, he was so grateful. He was so happy. And there's a nine-year-old boy who couldn't see anything. And then to see this, and then I'm ready to leave. But I said, Billy, I'm always there for you. Please Stay strong. Everything is going to work out well. You're going to get past all this. All right, I got to go to the game now, Billy. This is as I'm walking. Bobby, I want you to hit me a home run. I said, "Oh, Billy, <laughs> would you take a couple of bases?" <laughs> <laughs> he said, "No." Now he kept saying, "Bobby," and the doctor says, "I said, Billy, I'm going to give you my best, best effort. I'll do everything my possible can." hit this home run just for you. Not only one, that night, I hit that home run for Billy. It was just incredible how it touched everybody and the family and Billy. Then he goes through his procedure a week later, one eye at a time, and they operate on, and then he comes back after about six weeks or two months on working on both eyes at the same And then he says, 
and I took the family to lunch, and we just had a great conversation. And then Billy again says, okay. I said, I got to go, Billy. He said, Bobby, uh, would you hit me another homer? I want you to hit another homer. <laughs> I said, Billy, I'm going to do it. There's something going on here. I'm going to do it for you. Last of the 10th inning, score tied 2-2. Boom, another grand slam. And slam, we won the game. And coming off the field, the family was there. And I said, Billy couldn't see anything, you know, that well at all. But still, the feeling he had, and we we. We received, I mean, so someone gave us back that ball, and we gave it to Billy, and it was just a really a tear-jerking experience for all of us. So then he goes through the other procedure, and uh, we all went along with having our conversations, and every time he would come, we would talk about this, you know, what we experienced and how happy we are, Billy. What we did this for one another is incredible. And sure enough, he comes back first week in April, and he, you know, that was all planned. And he, before then, he said, Bobby, this time, I want you to home run I could see. And the feeling was just incredible. I mean, how, I mean, I, I had such a strong impact on me that I felt I'm getting a lot of help. Divine Intervention is playing a massive game for me and Billy. And the game starts. Billy is so excited. In fact, I had like Billy Mays go by one time and talk to me. He, a lot of a lot of ball players went by and talked to him. First inning, two outs, bases loaded. I hit another grand slam. And you couldn't believe the reaction on that playing field. There were the players, the fans, and Gene Elson, who would always spell it out exactly. This one for you, Billy. And he talked about Billy all the time, every time he was there. And there were the fans got a tremendous amount of support and knew what was going on. But this went, world, I mean, the over, over the whole country. I mean, the recognition of this and the people who have reacted to it, I got incredible letters and calls and information from all the, all the different cities because of what took place. It was it was a great experience. And then all of a sudden, you start to feel you feel better. And, and every time Gene Elson and, and the papers will say, this one's for you, Billy. This one's for you, Billy. And then about almost two years later, He's feeling well, you can see, and he was pitching in a little league game. And this one is for you, Bobby. He pitched a seven inning no hit game. <laughs> Two years later. So this is this has been this is just an incredible story. And you know, in Fox Sports, you know, they did a one hour show. They went nationwide for almost a I mean that at least six months they played it that often periodically. But the fun, they, it was a tremendous amount of coverage and the recognition over it and the sensitivity and uh, and I, I just got I got so much thank a lot of thank yous from all of this uh, divine of, divine intervention indeed yeah baseball is is a wonderful story I mean that's what's really great about baseball it's uh, it's the people that you come into contact with the things that happen the the great stories that happen and you know Billy Bradley's story happened at the beginning in the first month of the 1962 season when the Col 45s were just a month into playing. Uh, and then on May 7th was the, the first one that <laughs> Bob hit a home run for him. And then two grand, those two grand slams that he hit in 1963. Overall, there were three surgeries that uh, Bill Bradley came to Houston for. And uh, yeah, to, to, to regain his... And there's a wonderful photo 
Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it. Maybe you have a copy, Bob, but there's there's a wonderful photo of you with, with Bill Bradley, and he's wearing a uh, Houston Colts six-shooter club shirt, uh, and he has his glasses on, and there's just this big smile. Uh, you have this gleaming smile as well, and and it looks like it's it's taken after the game, and it's just it just really encompasses the the special uh, feeling that that baseball can can give people. The history of everything is so impactful when I want to look at things from the past. You got to remember, I was only 22 years old at the time. It's not that the, you know he was an established player. What a blessing that was for be able to do that at the same time that young fellow continued on his career because of that experience, too. Bob, you were an opening day starter your entire time with the uh, Colt 45s and, and the Astros. Tell mm-hmm. us a, a little bit about that, you know, to be to be part of that. And, and you were also one of the most popular players. There was the Bob Aspermani or uh, Aspro, as you were called back then. Uh, just this great name. There were people that would line up on Bob Aspermani night on the field of the Astrodome just to meet you before the game for this Bob Aspermani club. Tell tell me a little bit about your interaction with, with the fans, because I know that that's something that interacting and engaging with the fans who support you. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. It's so, so important because that's the feeling that I've had. And, uh, you know, when you have that, the feeling you get, not so much just hitting the home run, it's the experience of knowing these kids and how they're growing up like we all did, you know. And then the Houston franchise and fans were just incredible. And then they became, uh, uh, when they started talking about Aspro, they'd be stuck. And then in 1964, when it became the, uh, the whole Colt 45s Hall of Fame, they started calling me Aspro the Astro. <laughs> Fits perfectly. That, that was what a way to stop the 65 season in the Astrodome, you know. So all of that, you know, plays a little big role in not only how you play, but how much you really enjoy playing the game and making people satisfied for what you're doing and let them enjoy their game too. That took place. And there was some really good talent in the beginning years of the franchise. Uh, talk about some of those guys that you played with, like a Joe Morgan or a Jimmy Wynn or Larry Durker. Well, when you talk about Joe Morgan, Jimmy Wynn, Rusty Staub, Larry Durker, I never forget when Larry Durker, well, I want to go back first to Rusty Staub. was just incredible when he joined the franchise. And then also Jimmy Wynn and Joe Morgan. They all came that following year in the Colt 45s, and that created a, a great atmosphere for that young franchise. But the, uh, and then Larry Durker, never forget this one. And we're playing the uh, Dodgers in California. He's pitching and he's doing a great job and everything else. And it's the top of the ninth inning and he's all fired up. And he says, well, I can, I feel good. I can do the next, uh, I can finish the game. I said, Larry, what game are you going to finish? We're losing this game. What are you talking about? <laughs> you should have brought that up to We have one last one. He said, I feel good. I can do it. I said, yeah. I'm going to have to wait four more games. <laughs> Bob, you had six grand slams with, with the Astros. And, uh, you know, you were a, certainly a clutch hitter. 
Uh, you had 14 game-winning hits in 1965 alone. That's that's a big number right there. But you had that record until 2004. That I mean, that says a lot, especially for those years that you're playing in the Astrodome. And, of course, yes, I know, we know that they the air conditioning was being pushed, right, to push the ball out for the Astros, but being blown in for the visiting teams, right? <laughs> you remember that <laughs> argument? But to have the record for 40 years, think about the six grand slams, and from a non-home run hitter, I was so fortunate in key situations, in game-winning conditions, and everybody recognized that, that I came through. You know, there wasn't a superstar kind of a player, but it, it was a good good, order or everyday player who was able to perform in key situations like that was just an absolute blessing, and everybody recognizes that. And a couple of those grand slams, courtesy of uh, Billy Bradley. Wow. Never forget that. That's been a hell of a life. Whenever I speak, wherever I go, that comes up all the time. And it's just a pleasure to mention that and think about that all over again. Going back to some of the teammates that you played with, there were a couple of Hall of Famers that passed through Houston while you were a member of the Astros, like Nellie Fox, Robin Roberts, and even for a little bit, you got to to play with Don Larson, who was known for the no-hitter in 1956. Well, you you bring that up. That's incredible. Think about that. I was sitting on the bench with my brother Kenny, right behind the dugout, watching this incredible game being played in the World Series, and watch Don Larson strikeout Dale Mitchell for the last out for a perfect no-hit game. And we were there to experience that. Wow. You were there at Yankee Stadium? Oh, yes. Yeah, he was on the 56 uh, Dodgers. Yeah. Well, that's right. I was not able to put the uniform on, but I was there right up until the last game. And then when they went into the playoffs, that's where they uh, set me from behind the dugout. And I had my brother Kenny and I, and Paul, what a great memory that is, I'm telling you. And to this day, I have the World Series tickets that we used for that Don Lawson no-hitter. Wow. And speaking from a broadcast perspective, in the Yankee radio booth, you had the great Mel Allen, and in the Dodger booth, Red Barber and Vin Scully. That's Vin Scully. Vince Scully, what an incredible career he had. Red Barber and Mel Allen, I mean, the way they handled themselves and what they did for that ball club and create the atmosphere of knowing the players. They would always talk about each each individual player to a certain extent and made people more aware of what they're doing on and off the field. It It was great. Bob, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll have more of Astro Talk in just a moment. Take your business to higher ground with Capismo Communications. Capismo provides phone systems, IT management, cloud services, cabling infrastructure, internet connectivity, and podcast studio services. All the communications your business needs to be successful. Get unprecedented knowledge and impeccable reliability with Capismo Communications. Visit capismo.com. Make sure to visit the Houston City Beat store today on HoustonCityBeat.com. Find exclusive products that'll kick your Houston pride into gear. Check out the latest releases and come back often to see the latest editions. 
Just go to HoustonCityBeat.com and click on HCB Store on the menu. Shop the Houston City Beat Store today because only Hugh can wear it so well. You're listening to Astro Talk with Micah Costa and Gerald Sanchez. We're back on Astro Talk with Astro Hall of Famer Bob Astromati, and this segment is brought to you by Vito's Chill and Grill. Let them plan and cater the event of your dreams. Visit Vito's Chill and Grill online at vitoschillandgrill.com. Going back to your playing days again and 1968, the final year in an Astro uniform, and then you are in Atlanta on a playoff team in 1969. I tell you that was very special to uh, play in the playoff game and to feel the ground ball of the last of the ninth inning to win the game. It was uh, that division at the time it was just incredibly uh, wonderful to see that. We had a lot of superstars with Hank Aaron and Cleet Boy. We had, we, it's a great ball club. And we faced the New York Mets in the, in the World Series, and that was when we lost pretty quickly there. But it was it, it was a very special to be part of that because we had a great franchise with a lot of superstar players. But the Orlando Cepeda, when you talk about Hank Aaron, what a super individual he was on and off the field. What was it like playing for the Braves compared to the Astros at that time? Well, I think the atmosphere was a little different because you had a lot of superstar players that when I joined the ball club. But, but it was tough to leave after seven years and starting at third base every year and playing all the games. And I always played a lot of games. So when you do that for seven years, it wasn't an easy transition, even though the age was creeping up, to move to another franchise. But because Paul Richards, he took, he got me from Houston and moved me to Atlanta. And so I thought that was going to work out with the superstars they had. And it was really special. Sure, I was a utility player. But when I when I did participate, every game was so critically important because that's when we win our division. And the Braves were favored in that series, and that was the first year of league championship series play. Because before then, all you had to do was just win your league, and you're in the World Series. But '69 yep. was the first year that division play began because of the all the expansion. Mm-hmm. That's right. But we had some problems with the pitching staff during the playoff. We really had Pat Jarvis. There was a few other players that had a little struggling. So our pitching was not like it was, say, say a month before, so to speak. So it was a little difficult. But the hitting and everything else that was there. But I'm going to tell you something. The way the New York Mets, remember, New York Mets and the Houston Colt 45 started the same time. And here they are winning the World Series seven years later. Just think about that. Did you ever try to catch a knuckleball from Phil Necro? Well, uh, just talking to him, you needed a knuckleball. <laughs> <laughs> it was all over the place, right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he was quiet. Oh, he was such a great guy. What a, he had a heck of a career, too, all the way to 45 years of age. Well, we just saw that little ball up there. You can do that for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> then after the Braves, we talked about it already before, but you're playing for your your mentor and, and Gil Hodges at the oh. Mets your final year. Can you imagine finishing your career like that? 15 years later, 
when this Gil Hodges took care of that 17, 18 year old boy, I mean, on and off the field, and then even when I played with at the Houston Ball Club, because I always wore number 14, and there was a reason why I did that. It was Gil Hodges, and, and he knew, and I used to tease him, and I said, oh, Gil, it's just incredible to follow up with something like this. And he and I would turn our backs whenever we play on the opposite side, and the, the cameras would show the two fourteens. <laughs> <laughs> and you have I'm some. Looking, I'm in a, I'm in my, I'm in my baseball office here, and you got all the fourteens. I'm looking at it, he and I. <laughs> you had some fun teammates on that Mets team. Of course, that was that was shortly after they won the World Series. You had Seaver and Gentry, who was a stud at Arizona State, and of course. Uh, Kuzman, and there was a young guy named Nolan Ryan on that team as well. Oh, Nolan, I'm telling you. I, to me, just think about a young kid like Nolan Ryan, what, how he established himself. He played a couple of years, but he went on all the way to 45 years old and outstanding. And he's, you know, outstanding on and off the field. He's very special. He's a close friend. You, you got but, any good Ron Swoboda stories? Well, there's always a lot of them playing right here. <laughs> <laughs> he, always, he always, he was incredible. I'll tell you, he'd jump around, dive here, dive there. But he was good, I'm telling you. But what a, what a great ball club. And, and not to brag about this, but the first two and a half months, I had just an incredible two months. The most satisfying time to come to, back to New York with all my family and all the friends to Excel for almost two months, you know, and a lot of game when he hits and a few home runs for me to hit five home runs and, you know, in two months was a lot, five months and a half. So all of those things happened. And then I tore my calf muscle and then everything started changing. But Gil Hodges, think about that. 15 years later to finish your career with the guy that you really idolized and felt so comfortable with. I know many play, many uh, baseball folks at the time remember gone too soon. Gil Hodges. Mm-hmm. Bob, when you you talk about the nineteen sixty nine season and uh, divisional play, and you know there's some adjustments that are being made. Expansion, you know, you've you've had an expansion through the nineteen sixties, and there are adjustments that have to be made throughout Major League Baseball, and. You know, you being a veteran, and we kind of see that today. Uh, we see a lot of changes with with uh, the pitch clock and all these other things that have been tested and introduced. And there's a lot of controversy, and there's a lot of opinions that go around everywhere. What did you guys, if if anything, did you guys just go with it, or you know, was there some grumbling behind the scenes in the clubhouse? How, you know, what did you guys think of divisional play having another step before you actually get to the World Series? Well, I, I think that was part of making it so exciting to finish up because you had the different divisions and you want to come from the American League to the National League. You have to satisfy that need. And just to have the one by itself after the season's over, it needed another step, and I'm glad they did that. But at the same time, when you look at what they're doing now, when you start looking at a time set on a pitcher's delivery and a hitting box, and you're saving 33 minutes a game. Just think about the positive results of something like that. Sure, it's a little difficult to make the adjustment, but look, it's happening. And uh, instead of pitchers on the mound, you know, walking around the rubber for a minute and a half, yeah. it, that, that's to do that. You've got to stop that. And that's what I think has been very positive. When Go you ahead, think about uh, the pace of game, do you think it's because ball players now – 
have grown up differently. And, you know, the you see a lot of changes in, in, you know, with the college baseball games, you see a lot of pitching changes. You know, players are coming through baseball academies and all these youth leagues that are there and they're, they're being taught certain ways. Is, you know, it seems like baseball kind of went to where it needed to uh, kind of micromanage itself because everybody was so invested in doing every little routine that they do. And it seemed like at one point, all the way up through the 90s, I would say, before there was more expansion with, uh, you know, Colorado and Denver, I mean, Denver and, and Phoenix and, and those, Miami and those cities, uh, the pace of the game was just playing a game, like literally going out there and, and you know, there wasn't a lot of cat and mouse, you know, between players or people, you know, would bat. I don't mind bat flips. I, I mean, they're, they're cool. I mean, there, there are certain moments that are, but you know, it, there was more of just playing the game and just being in a rhythm of a game to keep your mind in the game. Because like Yogi always said, half the game or 90% of the game is half mental, right? So, you know, you always keep your mentality in that ball game. And whenever you have a, you know, excessive amount of time to walk around the mound or whatever, it almost seemed like baseball had to step in to, to sort of manage that. And, and do you think that that's what's going on? Do you think it might go back to a, to another pacing of that? Where do you think that comes from? Well, I think because of the slowness of the games and how long the games have taken, you got to remember fans sitting there for three hours or even watching it on TV. That's a long period of time. So you had to make those adjustments, especially when hitters would stay off the box for quite a while and the pitcher would move around the rubbers for one, two minutes. The game continued on so long that way. And the most difficult thing for me to adjust was to watch the adjustment they made with the playing field. How you can cover all infielders now field on the, from second base to first base. Oh, the shifts. On a way for everything to shifts. It really did. Yeah. When you talk about having a double play, a nice double play that you would kind of react, you know, things like that you couldn't do. But you made some superstar hitters because they're outstanding, but they – what happens you miss out on the hit and run, moving runners around, and have that atmosphere that you needed, catching the ground ball that just rolled through the shortstop, nobody around. I, that, I did, that really bothered me to watch that, you know. So I'm glad that's changed somewhat, and I think that's another positive move. With the timing, also has been very good. Yeah, I th- I'm hoping, you know, the, the with the pitch clock, I'm hoping that maybe – it, it's something that is used for a while, you know, to kind of get players into that mode of a pace of game. I personally call it a micromanaging of baseball that, you know, Major League Baseball has to step in and, and kind of manage itself for a little bit. I want to step back to, uh, to 1965 again, Bob. Uh, we're talking with Bob Aspermani here on Astro Talk. And, Bob, on, on uh, April the 8th of 65... The Astros played a scrimmage with the Oklahoma City 89ers inside the Astrodome. And, uh, of course, that, the 89ers, were the old Houston Buffs. They had moved the uh, the team. The, the Astros had purchased the club that had played Ooh. in Houston for many decades, and they, they became the 89ers. They became the farm team, moved them to Oklahoma City. And when the Astrodome was going to open, they brought the 89ers down here, and you had a scrimmage. And that night... Uh, Joe Morgan hit a homer into the stands. And of course, there's nobody there. 
And uh, they set up that massive scoreboard. The home run spectacular goes off and everybody sees it and, you know, it, it happens and it's really cool. And, and if it, those listeners that are out there who never saw the original home run spectacular in the Astrodome, it was a it was just a show within itself. The original Astrodome scoreboard was really the personality of the Astrodome and the precursor to what we call today as the ballpark experience. On April 10th, Jim Beecham hit a homer, became the first person to hit a homer in a game, but that was an exhibition game. And then on April 24th, you hit the very first Astros home run in a regular season game. Tell us about that night. That was absolutely a very special night to do something like that, to hit the first home run in the Astrodome in a regular season game for the Astros. And one of the incredible things was I was a Mickey Mantle f- fan who I respected and thought an awful lot because he's he about 10 years older at the time, eight years older. But he hit the first home run in the exhibition game. And that was really something. I remember when he came around third base, he was just a special guy and an outstanding ball player. But the thought of that, being the first one to do that, and then me hitting the first home run in the Astrodome for the Astros was, you know, a non-home run hitter like that to do that. It was a very special, very yeah. special. And you mentioned the first Astro home run because that's what it was. Because yeah. on opening day on April 12th, uh, Dick Allen, Richie Allen for the Phillies hit the first regular season homer. But you yeah, that, were the one to do it for the Astros. <laughs> Astros, that's right. And, no, and that, it was it was not easy to hit home runs in the Dome. Oh, I'm telling you, you really need a lot of help. I mean, <laughs> Even if you use a seven iron club off the golf course, you still <laughs> it took so much. There's so far. That's why I respect what Jimmy Wynn accomplished. Yeah. Just Jimmy Wynn to hit that many home runs and how his ball carried, you know, it was outstanding in that big ballpark. And what did you but guys it, think about that scoreboard going off too? I mean, I remember uh, there was a time where Gene Oliver with the Milwaukee Braves came out of the dugout with sparklers, you know, and kind of a kind of retaliation of all the the lights and so forth going off on the on the Astrodome scoreboard. What did you guys think of that display whenever ever you hit a home run? I, I thought it was just outstanding what it did for the fans. When you look at left field all the way to right field, totally clever with that scoreboard. And actually, I have the photo when I hit the home run. It meant an awful lot to that Astrodome. Put a lot of life in that system and great ways to look at something very special. Later on in your career, after you, you left baseball, you had a very successful career with um, with beer distributorship. So you remained in the Houston area. When I found out that the Coors just would be moving their product here in Houston and the application of how you would address the issues... And I was fortunate enough with my brother Ken to apply for that distributorship and got incredible assets and help from a lot of people. And when they explored, then the list is incredible. Over, you know, over 2,000 people applied for the opportunity of that Coors Beer distributorship. So we were very fortunate. But I'm going to tell you something. Baseball had a lot to do with that. The exposure, they gave me the somewhat the knowledge, but also the people helping out that I was able to get it. And we had it, Kenny and I had it for 30 years. It's incredible to spend 15 years in baseball, Major League Baseball, and then 30 years in the business. It's incredible. So fortunate. 
That's 45 years of activeness, positive stuff that makes you feel very special. Over the years, when you have come into contact with uh, various teammates uh, throughout baseball, who made the greatest impression on you as a teammate? Well, you know, it's incredible when you think about how important it was when that uh, you saw off with Gil Hodges and and I'll tell you another incredible thing was my relationship with Jackie Robinson too. That starts it all. But from there, it went on to where you create these friendships and uh, you know, like Rusty Saab, what Gil did for me, I was able to help Rusty a lot of way in the early years and Joe Morgan and so the friendships we just created was because of the young youth and how we all worked well together. And also the visiting teams, you know, you're playing elsewhere, like Hank Aaron and I. I mean, I, every time this man hit a home run, I would be sitting right alongside there. Just incredible. What an attitude he had. But those are the kind of things that you're really getting so deeply involved with, you know. And uh, But I can even go and make it currently, like a Hall of Fame that's taking place now. And Mike, you're involved. You started all of that in 2019, you know. When you look at the uh, actual... Uh, Gastro's Hall of Fame. That's very special to bring back all the plays that you recognize and be part of. Yeah, and we talk about, and thank you for that, we we talk about the uh, former players that, that have come back. You know, in 1982, it was the 20th anniversary of the Colt 45's first season, and there was a big uh, gathering of former players, Colt 45 players, who came back to the Astrodome and had a celebration and there was a um, a little gathering outside in in the parking lot because you know Colt Stadium had had already long been removed from the uh, parking lot of the Astrodome. Uh, the stadium had been moved down to Mexico to where they were using it in a Mexican league uh, team was playing down there with it. They reconstructed it. Remember that the Colt Stadium was built from a scaffolding company, yeah. so you could really take it apart and then reinstall it. Although I will say this too, this um, something that was really interesting, and I don't know if a lot of people out there really realize, but you know the seats, the folding chairs that were at Colt Stadium, they moved them into the Astrodome and they put them in the the uh, locker rooms, like football locker rooms. They used them in the end zones for for football setup and everything. So they actually went on and lived. Uh, they just weren't as hot because they weren't out in the sun. <laughs> but on this day here in 1982, when the, the Astros had a Colt 45 reunion they had marked where home plate was set up was originally there now it was it was asphalt and and you know the the marks of the stadium were long gone uh do you remember that day when they brought all of you back and you had the home plate there and a, kind of a press conference there i'm going to tell you something i have actual photos of that who was all around that home plate on that outfield where the actually the home plate was for the houston Colt 45 stadium that's incredible. All the players around there, and that's where it all started. Then we moved naturally into the Astrodome at the same day. I don't know if you're familiar with all of that. Mm-hmm. We had there was there was several. I would say maybe 30, 40 net players. This all kinds of people that were involved in the Co-45s and Houston. Uh, it, it, you would really enjoy seeing that. Oh, it was great. Uh, I've seen the the, the photos. Well, have you really? Um, I, I have seen a couple of photos of that. It was. It looked like it was one of those fan. You know, one of the 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 great things that uh, 
that I really loved doing with the Astros was was the alumni interaction. Uh, I got a chance to because baseball is like a like an ever ongoing education. You really never stop learning uh, because it's the it's the great people in the game. But you know they had marked home plate that day, and they were gonna I think they were gonna try to put some sort of uh, something in the ground, and never got done. But you know it was another thirty years later, and I was involved with this project in two thousand twelve. Uh, 2012, you came back again. This time we gave you the Colt 45 jerseys to wear on the field. And I want to say there was about seven of you. You were there, Al Spangler, Hal Smith, uh, a few of the other guys were, were there. Do you remember that? Y'all tossed the, uh, the first yes. pitch of the game that day. And that was the first time. That was April 10th, 2012. And that was exactly 50 years after the first game in franchise history, which happened on April 10th, 1962. And it was the very first time that the Astros were able to wear the Colt 45 uniform again on the playing field. That was very special. For all of us who experienced all those 50 years from the start to watch it grow and to be able to put that uniform on the Colt 45 was fantastic. You know, I remember when we were working on that project, there was a little yeah. controversy because they told us at one point, they said, you're going to have to remove the Colt 45 pistol from the front of that jersey. And uh, so we did for a short time and just to see what it would look like. And we had actually been given permission before to wear that full uniform, but times had changed, you know, by 2012 and having a gun a pistol, even if it, from a historical standpoint, it wasn't as a welcoming sight, right? Um, but we, we won out. We put that, we got it back on there because uh, cooler heads prevailed. And they said, you know, that was part of team history. And the, the Colt 45 revolver, it was named after the, the pistol that won the West. And, and that's what it was back then. So they allowed us to put the, uh, the full emblem the full word mark on the front with the uh, the logo as it should have been uh, along the front. So it was very good having somebody like you out there because it just it just feels like your entire career from the very beginning is just a full circle type of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go from April tenth, nineteen sixty two. There you are, fifty years later. You know, all of this Bill Bradley, all those stories with Bill Bradley hitting the first home run in the Astrodome. You just have this this full circle type of baseball story. It's it's just incredible. Well, I appreciate that, and I tell you, it was so critically important when you talk about well, you know what George Roy Hoffines went through with the Colt Forty Fives when they removed the name. That was a fantastic timing for them to have that discussion. When you're looking at the astronauts and the Astros and how that all became the Astrodome, you know. Incredible. When you think about how that all happened, it's fantastic. Judge Warhoffer deserves a lot of credit for a lot of it. I was so fortunate to see how that one individual changed that. Like that made me feel so good. You know, when people talk, you know, you talk about that name change back back then from Colt 45s to the Houston Astros, and they wanted something that was progressive, something that was moving forward in the space program. Mm. You know, and, it, and right. as, it, as it continues today, the space program is leading the way. It's something that's innovative, something that hasn't been done before. And that's something that is also a theme, I think, throughout uh, the Houston Astros with Dome Stadium and the AstroTurf and everything else that has come over the years. But the thing that I come back to 
And when we were putting together, you know, you were inducted into the Astros Hall of Fame as part of the inaugural class of the Astros Hall of Fame in 2019. And rightfully so, you know, we were talking about, you know, back when they changed the name of the team over from the 45s to the Astros, it was like, okay, what is what does that mean? I mean, there were people out there who who didn't know what an Astro was. And Alan Shepard, the astronaut, had actually given the the go-ahead he preferred it was it came down to stars and astros and he Mm -hmm. said he really liked astros because it was short for astronauts but back then see that's what it that's what you referred to as a houston astro was an astronaut it was a character that was short version of an astronaut and now when you think about the houston astros you think about Bob Aspermani as a Houston Astro. You think about Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Jimmy Wynn, Nolan Ryan, Jose Cruz. You go on and on. Uh, but True. but how does that feel for you to know that you're part of a franchise forever? Missing things is so sensitive to me because I was so close with Alan Shepard. He brought an awful lot of conversation of how the astronauts would be a perfect time to make that transition of name calling. And, and it was perfect. You couldn't ask for it. when you have the astronauts so close here and what they accomplished in the early 60s and to have this new franchise right there in Houston. It became an ideal situation to call it the Astro Dome. And, uh, and uh, do you remember uh, which uh, which astronaut you he, caught when they tossed the uh, the first pitch on opening yeah. night in 65? Who, whose uh, first pitch did you catch? I'm going to tell you that. Yes, we had a lineup. We had a few of the astronauts, and we were all thrown out the first pitch. And Alan Shepard threw me ah, at the pit. Yeah, we yeah. Had the <laughs> another he, full, full circle type of thing. Yeah. Real circle. And he and I we were in the beer business together. He had a distributorship on the other side of the town as well. Wow. So we were a long time, really. Uh, hey, Super you know, uh, a, a quick question: uh, Do you remember? Uh, did you ever share any skybox time with uh, with Alan Shepard? Oh yes. So, oh, yeah. did you ever hear a story called Operation Hot Dog? You're gonna have to. Give it me would have been. Words. It would have been when you were playing, but I don't know if he ever told you. Maybe later on or whatever. But Alan Shepard loved hot dogs, and he was sharing a skybox. And and they would they didn't sell hot dogs on the skybox level. They had steaks, oh, yeah. caviar, champagne, everything else. Al Shepard wanted a hot dog and he couldn't get it, and he had to go downstairs to you know one of the lower levels of the Astrodome to get it. And he wound up bringing in his own machine. And then the the concessionaire at the dome said, "You can't do that. You can't bring in outside food." And then he wound up calling Roy Hoffines in his suite and. Was saying, hey, I can't get hot dogs. They don't. <laughs> and these Shepherd special hot dogs became a thing at the dome for for a while there in 1965. And I always, I always thought it was a humorous story. Oh, <laughs> Alan was very special. I'm telling you, he he really enjoyed the name changing and be part of it all. He's a baseball man too. He enjoyed the game and to have that combination of seeing his the Astros and astronauts to that dome is incredible he was very very pleased so bob we uh we're on the tail end here and uh we have a couple of fan questions that have come from the houstoncitybeat.com facebook group uh we have uh i believe who was the former president of the bob aspermani fan club mary finger she asked uh what 
was the influence for you to want a career in baseball? What was the big thing that led to you wanting to go into baseball? I was so fortunate to have two older brothers who played the game of baseball, but had a father to make sure that we had the ability. He knew we had some ability to continue to play on a regular basis at all levels. I started playing as a very six-year-old kid and watched the growth of all three of us to play professional baseball like we did. It was very super. And it all had to do something like that uh, throughout our whole lives, really. Now, you've mentioned Jackie Robinson quite extensively here. But if you had our last question from a from fan is from Greg Randolph, and he wanted to hear you talking. And by this point, you've, you've already talked about uh, Jackie Robinson. But if you had to pinpoint, you know, what is the most impactful thing that Jackie Robinson had on you or you and your teammates? What would be that one thing that you could take away from that? What he did and his attitude and how he handled himself with all the negative stuff that goes around at that time and the professionalism and he's so smart and he had a special wife that I became very close to too because right after that trip we took a trip to Japan on a goodwill trip for six weeks we played ball in Hawaii played all over Japan and that's where the relationship became so strong because he, we did so much things together and, and to see that happen and how he handled himself it was so beneficial everything else that followed. And uh, how he handled all of that was uh, was recognized very strongly. What is Bob Asramani doing these days, and how much uh, interaction do you have with the franchise? We had the, the Hall of Fame, and we have one coming up again, and I talked to Jenny quite a bit. And we go to, I haven't been going to too many games. I had made a long trip. And we took a nice, beautiful cruise a long way away. So I'll be getting back to a little bit of that. And uh, but it's a um, you know very 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 special to uh, get all the old players and the new players, uh, the current players, so to speak, together once in a while. It's it's very important. And it's got to be a great feeling when you see the when you the franchise that you that really helps start win a couple of World Series. That's right. I mean, look at the incredible six years we've had. It's been an incredible franchise that we did. The success and the players. And, you know, it's, a, it's been an incredible, very fortunate in Houston to have this ball club for that period of time. And they made a lot of great decisions. A lot of superstars here. Things are going to change a little bit. But at the same time, it's all part of it. We, we should be very proud of what we've done Baseball-wise, the Astros in the last six years. Bob, we certainly do appreciate your time and for coming on to Astro Talk with Mike and I and wish you all the best of luck, and we'll see you soon at the ballpark. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. That's Bob Astromani, Hall of Famer for the Houston Astros. We'll be back to wrap it up in just a moment. Legacy Sports Network, now celebrating 16 years of broadcast excellence. We're your home for local high school sports coverage. Expect excellent audio and video production. Whether listening at home or at the game, find us at lsnsports.com. Legacy Sports Network, 
building a legacy, one game at a time. I'm Lisbeth Marquez, the founder and creator of Houston City Beat, where we are storytellers of Houston, bringing you original content over a multitude of platforms, connecting you with fellow Houstonians. Together, we collaborate to be Houston strong, because this is my hometown and this is your hometown too. And there's just something about that beat. Houston City Beat. You're listening to Astro Talk with Micah Costa and Gerald Sanchez. What a great conversation we had with the legendary Bob Astromani here on Astro Talk. Gerald Sanchez back with Micah Costa and Astro Talk. Always presented by Houston City Beat, HoustonCityBeat.com. And thanks to the good folks over at Capismo Communications for hosting us here with our podcast. What a special time that we had with Bob. Bob Astromani is a golden human. Uh, I have known him for a number of years. He's always, uh, he loves to share stories. He has a, a, just a huge heart. He loves to talk to people, loves to engage with people, and has had a wonderful career. And, and you talk about Bob Asperani. No, he's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He has done, and you don't have to be, to have a great career in baseball. It is about the quality of the person and what you do and how you impact others. And that certainly is probably something that he took from Jackie Robinson, as he talked about so much or in our conversation. Yeah, Jackie Robinson having a huge influence on him. And then how about the story of Billy Bradley? Hey, Bobby, hit a homer for me. Yes. I mean, you, it's like it was scripted for a movie. And, and you know, if you go back and you Google Billy Bradley or Bill Bradley from Arkansas and you, you put Bob Aspermani's name in there, you'll see what I'm talking about. He was a little kid who just loved baseball, who had an unfortunate lightning strike accident. And then Bob hits these grand slams and a home run for him over the course of a couple of seasons as he is in town getting surgeries to recover his eyesight. And uh, it's just an incredible story. And, and Bob just, like I mentioned in the conversation, he just has a full circle type of career. And then Billy goes out and throws a no-hitter for Bob. Yes, and, and it's just, that's that's also the, I guess you could call the romance of baseball. You know, it's it's very special it's 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 a very special story. Everybody has can have a story in baseball. Well, we're just getting started here on Astro Talk as we've obviously talked to Bob Aspermani, and we're going to have many, many, many more guests here on our podcast. Yes, and once again, we want to thank everybody at Capismo Communications here in Houston, Texas. Visit them at capismo.com. Astro Talk is presented by Houston City Beat. Go to the Storytellers of Houston, visit them online at HoustonCityBeat.com. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of Astro Talk, our very first, and we're looking forward to many more. Thank you for tuning in. And for Mike Acosta, I'm Gerald Sanchez, wishing you a very pleasant good day. Until next time, so long, everybody. You've been listening to Astro Talk, a Houston City Beat production. Visit HoustonCityBeat.com today.